Let's pray. Oh God, as we consider this story, this picture of Jesus and his disciples, we pray that you'll call us into relationship with you and help us to understand what that relationship means for us and for our relationship with others. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, there was uh, apparently some time that the disciples had on their, their hands. Jesus had uh, died. It had been a roller coaster of emotions. They had met the resurrected Jesus not too long after. And now they literally don't know what to do. Uh, they were uh, uh, told to stay where they were, but they didn't have a specific mission or job uh, yet. And so apparently uh, when... Uh, not knowing what to do, they went back to what they know how, knew how to do, and that was to uh, fish. These guys were uh, fishermen, and so they decided, or Peter decided, that he was going to go fish, and this seemed like a good idea to everyone, and so they jump in the boat, and they go off fishing overnight, but it was, as we read, unsuccessful. So at the very early in the morning, and we're imagining it's still, still kind of dark, and maybe there's uh, a mist on the water, a man passerby they must have thought called out maybe they were thinking uh, he saw something that they did they didn't fish feeding throw the net on the other side they throw the net on the other side of the boat and immediately immediately the nets are are filled so much so that they recognized that something was uh, out of the usual this was un- unusual this was extraordinary and so uh, John uh, recognizes that this was Jesus on the shore and so uh, Peter, who is, who is in his bathing suit apparently, puts on his, his, his outer coat, jumps into the water, as we've learned from Peter, uh, that he's the kind of guy who would do this, and uh, wades into the shore, and I, I think the picture is funny, so he's trying to get in the shore, and it's like the, they, they row the boat and get there about the same time, but you know, he's impetuous and jumps in and wants to be with Jesus. So, uh, he, so they come up on the, on, on the shore, on the, the sand, and there Jesus has prepared a breakfast, and again, I love the idea of Jesus preparing uh, breakfast. Uh, come and eat uh, breakfast with me, he invites them, and then invites them also to go and bring some of their own fish so that it's going to be a joint meal. He did the cooking, he's got some there, but they're going to bring some of their own as well. And so they're all sitting around the fire and uh, having a, a good time together and doing some reminiscing, I would imagine, and uh, Jesus turns to uh, Peter and asks him, uh, three times if he uh, loves him. Now, most Bible students acknowledge that this is Jesus directly addressing the uh, elephant on the beach, if you will. Uh, that reality that uh, Peter had denied uh, Jesus three times. So this, you know the story, if you've read any of the gospel narrative, that Peter was one of uh, Jesus' most impetuous disciples, always ready to, to stand up for what he believed in or what he thought was right, and had promised Jesus that he would never deny him, but yet on the night when Jesus was arrested, Peter did that three times. And so, again, Bible students acknowledge that uh, this is Jesus having this dialogue, this kind of three-part dialogue with Peter, and that it is related to this denial that, Jesus had, or that Peter had made of Jesus on the night he was uh, arrested. Uh, With that said, it wasn't that uh, Jesus just wanted to hear from Peter how much he cared for him and his compassion for him. Uh, It's also evident from the text here that uh, Jesus is trying to assure Peter that he has been forgiven. 
So he asked uh, Peter, do you love me? Uh, Peter responds, yes, I love you. And then uh, those words, feed my sheep. And uh, again, do you love me? Next, next time, take care of my sheep. Do you love me again? Feed my sheep again. So Jesus is affirming Peter in his leadership role in the newborn church. Again, uh, asserting that he has been forgiven, that, he has got, that Jesus has not given up on him just because he denied Jesus uh, himself. Um, it's interesting to note, or worth noting, I sh- should say, that Peter had expressed interest in the subject of forgiveness uh, before. And this is our, our theme today, is forgiveness. Uh, in Matthew chapter 18 and verse 21, and this is before the narrative of them sitting on the beach, of course, we read that Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? So this issue of of forgiveness, and Peter, it had been on Peter's mind uh, before. Uh, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven? Thinking he's being generous, probably. And Jesus answers and, tell, and said, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. And so Peter had been interested in knowing how much forgiving he had to do as a follower of Jesus, but now he was the one who needed forgiveness. And Jesus didn't uh, disappoint. Three times he asked Peter to affirm his love for him. And each time Jesus responded with an empowering confirmation. Feed my sheep. Take care of my lambs. Feed my sheep. Jesus was reminding Peter of the important role he was to play as a leader in the development of the newborn uh, Christian uh, church. The newborn group of believers. Um, In fact, we read in Matthew chapter 16... The, the words of Jesus when he first initiates Peter's role as a leader in the church. Uh, Jesus said, And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Those words had to ring uh, in, in Peter's mind. I mean, Jesus had picked him out and said that he was going to be a leader among this newborn a church, but certainly there had to be uh, some concern after denying Jesus that uh, he would never fulfill that uh, promise of Jesus because he had let Jesus down. And so Jesus is here now on the beach affirming that his mission was not over. Yes, he had denied uh, Jesus, but his mission was not over, that God is a God of forgiveness. And so Jesus' affirmation of the fact that Peter's mission uh, was to lead out in the newborn church still stood even after his uh, denial. Jesus is one of forgiveness. Jesus doesn't want to just hear Peter say that he loves him. He wants to affirm uh, Peter and let him know that he is uh, still his man uh, and, his lead, and his leader for the church. Um, so this forgiveness of Jesus that's exemplified here is actually at the heart of what it means to be a Christian. Following Jesus means that we are aware that we are forgiven, uh, but it also means that we are called uh, to forgive, to be people who are gracious and forgiving. You know, uh, too often the church is not known for being gracious and forgiving, is known as being a judgmental place, a place where people are always picking on, on everyone. But uh, true Christianity, Christianity of Jesus is one of graciousness, is one of forgiving, is, is one of peace. And so we recognize that this is really the core of Christianity, this idea of uh, forgiveness. In fact, we think back to that, that time when uh, Peter was asking Jesus about 
uh, forgiveness, and where he went into the seven times 70 uh, thing. And uh, Jesus also attached a, a parable of forgiveness, and you can read it again in Matthew chapter 18, verse 21. Uh, as we read, Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me up to seven times? And Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. And then Jesus goes into the parable. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. This is an incredible amount of money at the time. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and children and all that they had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. He didn't uh, just say, okay, I'll give you more time to pay back the debt. He canceled the entire debt. The, the debt is gone. Uh, some of us with student loans would love for that to happen. Anybody have student loans? Wouldn't that be amazing? Canceled. Not, I'm going to give you a, another 25 years. I, you know how long ago it was that I graduated? A long time. I'm still paying off that thing. Canceled the debt. Didn't give him more time, just canceled. Uh, but when the servant went out, he found one of his uh, fellow servants who owed him 100 silver coins. This is a small amount of money. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me, I will pay it back. Same argument that uh, the servant had made to the king. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in, you wicked servant, he said, I canceled all the debt of yours because you begged me. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Pretty, pretty direct words from Jesus in response to Peter's inquiry about uh, forgiveness. That forgiveness is a core to the heart of God, and God has forgiven us, and he calls us to be people of forgiveness as well. Author uh, Linda Graham describes forgiveness in this way in her book, Bouncing Back, Rewiring Your Brain for Maximum Resilience and Well-Being. Forgiveness is the practice of letting go of the suffering caused by someone else's wrongdoing or even our own. It does not mean excusing, overlooking, forgetting, condoning, or trivializing the, the harm or jumping into a premature superficial reconciliation. It doesn't necessarily require reconcil reconciliation at all. Instead, it involves the changing of our relationship to an offense through understanding compassion and release. Uh, two decades of social psychology, uh, psycholo uh, psych psychological research have repeatedly demonstrated the emotional, physical, and social benefits of forgiveness. And so uh, sociologists recognize and, and, and psychologists recognize the importance of uh, forgiveness, and forgiveness is at the heart of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And so uh, this is the, the point in the message where I could tell you that uh, God is a God of forgiveness, that he has forgiven you, and uh, you are called to forgive each other. And so I know that there are some of you here who probably are struggling with forgiveness or that uh, you have someone that you need to forgive or you need to forgive yourselves. And so go out and do what Jesus did and uh, forgive. 
and then we could pray and everything would be over and you would go out and you'd be out and you'd be out for like half an hour and then you would start feeling guilty because you would recognize that forgiving is difficult. And following Jesus' example of forgiving, I mean, Jesus forgave in such a dramatic way. The idea that you now are going to just go and start forgiving and you're going to go home and you're going to say a prayer and you're going to start being a really forgiving uh, person that can sound real good, but the reality is, again, you leave with that message, uh, it's probably not going to work because forgiveness is difficult. There are some serious roadblocks that hinder us from being able to uh, forgive. And so I want to explore those for just a moment, and I have a couple of them for you. There are many others, as you probably know, uh, reasons why we have a hard time forgiving. And for me to get up and just say, okay, Jesus forgave uh, you, now you go and forgive others is not sufficient. That's not a, enough. Uh, we have a hard time forgiving because we are afraid of being hurt again. Uh, we're afraid of being hurt again. If we forgive, well, we risk uh, putting down our guard and we are open to being uh, hurt again. Or maybe we're uh, concerned that we'll be seen as being naive. And so uh, forgiveness uh, creates that uh, f- fear in us. We don't want to be hurt again. If we forgive, we might open ourselves to being hurt. And so we have a hard time with forgiveness because we are afraid, afraid of being hurt. Uh, we also have a, a hard time with forgiveness because we as humans have an innate sense of justice and worry that forgiveness will throw off the balance to justice. Uh, we think that wrongs should be uh, righted and that uh, forgiveness can subvert justice. Uh, there was some research done actually fairly recently uh, regarding uh, children under two. So it was thought that children didn't really develop their sense of justice until the ages of six or seven, but um, as research has been done recently on younger children, they've recognized that children as young as 18 months uh, have some sense of justice uh, between right and wrong. So uh, this is uh, a comment from this research. Uh, two experiments involving children under the age of two led researchers to conclude that fairness is an innate and universal concept. In one experiment, 19-month-old children uh, witnessed a pair of giraffes and a pair of toys. In one scenario, one giraffe uh, hogged both toys, and the other other, uh, had none. Three-fourths of the children uh, paid greater attention to the selfish giraffe. They were trying to understand what is going wrong with this selfish giraffe. They knew innately something is not uh, right here. And so they say, this suggests that they could tell something was odd about the situation. Uh, psychologists uh, concluded that children are born with a skeleton of general expe- expectation of uh, fairness. And so, again, you can make the, the, the case that this is something that we actually experience all through our lives, that we have an innate sense of justice. We know what is right. We know what is wrong. And forgiveness... Uh, can, can seem like it's throwing off the balance. If we forgive, then justice will not be uh, met. Those who have done wrong, they need to come to justice, and so we are afraid that uh, justice will be thrown off if we uh, forgive. Finally, we have a difficult time with forgiveness because uh, self-righteousness is like a drug. Uh, feeling like we are correct and someone else is incorrect there's, there's like a drug experience to that. It just feels good to know that, <laughs> you know, this, this guy, can you believe what he did to me? Um, feeling better than uh, others, feeling like we ha- took the high road, that that is actually something that we can be 
become addicted to, just feeling like we were wronged and the other person has done, done wrong and we are right, uh, that can actually give us a lot of satisfaction. And so this uh, self-righteousness is like a drug and we actually uh, want to feel better than others. And it's not that we necessarily want to hold on to, to, to anger and not forgive, but there's something just about feeling better than someone else and feeling like someone else has wronged us that has a psychological effect on us. And so we are afraid of being hurt. We have an innate sense of justice that we think might get thrown off if we just forgive everything. And we also uh, treat self-righteousness uh, like a, a drug. And all of these things, and of course there are more, are reasons which it's really difficult for us to actually forgive. And so for me to tell you, Jesus forgave you, now you go and forgive each other, it's still a, a, a tough a challenge. Uh, and yet, uh, the command is surely there, that we should be people of forgiveness. And so, how does, how does this work? Well, again, we read, we read earlier that Jesus uh, himself forgave a great wrongdoing uh, done by Peter, who denied him, again, three times on the night that he was uh, arrested. But, of course, this is not the only forgiving that Jesus done. In fact, it's not even the most audacious. It's not even the most dramatic. We read in Luke chapter 23 and verse 34 that as Jesus is dying, literally, he's dying, he's been nailed to this, this cross, he's been uh, crucified, this form of punishment, he cries out, Father, forgive them, talking about those people who have been responsible for nailing him to the cross. Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. And so we have this incredible example of Jesus being this, this man of forgiveness. So not only did he forgive Peter, but he forgave those who were murdering him. Uh, but not only did Jesus forgive others, uh, he also suffered as one who was not forgiven. So Jesus gives us a great example of being one who did forgive. So in our incapability of our, our giving in our fears, we can take heart that Jesus was able to forgive, but also he suffered as one who was not forgiven. Jesus was treated as one who was not forgiven so that we could be forgiven. Uh, Peter himself, the same Peter who was on the beach with Jesus eating the breakfast prepared by Jesus, would later write this about Jesus himself. First, this is 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 23. When they hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate. Now remember, Peter is speaking from first-hand knowledge. He was there when this happened. When they hurled insults at Jesus, he didn't retaliate, Peter writes. When he, when he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed." See, Peter is articulating this great truth that not only is Jesus a great example of one who, who uh, forgives, Jesus, Jesus suffered as one who was not forgiven. And because of that, we have hope that God can work and transform our own experience. We said that, uh, that we don't forgive because we are afraid of being hurt. We have a fear that if we forgive, that we might get hurt again. But Jesus' call to us is, fear not, for I am with you. 
I, I, I was dead and now alive, and the resurrection promise of Jesus is not just for himself, but is for us, and so there's no reason to a fear. We shouldn't let fear control our ability to forgive, because a God calls us not to fear because God has overcome death. We said that we have an innate sense of justice and worry that forgiveness will throw that off. So our sense of justice makes us nervous that if we, uh, when we forgive, justice will be thrown off. But Romans chapter 5 and verse 6, this is Peter's colleague, Paul writes these words, you see, just at the right time, when we were still powerless, Jesus died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, before we even asked for forgiveness, Jesus died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, there's the concept of justice, right? So we're afraid that uh, if we forgive, that justice will not be met. But Paul says that justice has been met through Jesus and his blood. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through Jesus? For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Justice was satisfied when Jesus died. So yes, we have an innate sense of justice and we can fear and be afraid that, hey, if we forgive, justice will th be thrown off. Someone is going to get away with something that they shouldn't get away with. But Paul comes and says, hey, justice has actually been satisfied already. When Jesus died, he provided justice. Finally, we said that we fear uh, forgiveness. We fear forgiving ourselves and forgiving others because Self-righteousness is like a drug to us. But 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, uh, in that Paul continues on, and he says this, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. This is God, uh, Jesus taking on uh, the, the, the role of the unforgiven. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Because Jesus was treated as one who was unforgiven, we have the opportunity to always be treated as the forgiven. This is the great promise of 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and uh, 21. Self-righteousness is hollow. Making ourselves out better than we are is hollow. It's like a sports car with no engine uh, in it. But the righteousness of God is, is like there's power in that. And this is what is offered in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, by Jesus' work on our behalf. Jesus was treated as one who was not forgiven so that we could be treated as one who is forgiven. Since God and Jesus has suffered as one not forgiven, we are empowered to live as one who is forgiven. And as we accept and embrace God's work in our lives, God is enabled to forgive us and to help us to forgive others. Listen, again, I know that there are those of you here who have a real difficult time, maybe even now, with someone, with some situation, someone has hurt you, someone has let you down, and you're holding on to that. But psychologists have already told us it's not healthy for us. But beyond that, there's a spiritual com component. If you're not able to forgive, it's going to have an impact on your, your relationship with God and with each other. And so God is calling us to forgive, to forgive those who even hurt us, who have done wrong to us. And, and yet, he doesn't just say go and forgive. He says, I'll give you the power 
to do that. Again, 1 Peter chapter 3. This is Peter who's sitting on that beach with Jesus. Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He wants to bring you to God. He wasn't put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. What Jesus did on our behalf empowers us to have forgiveness for others, to have forgiveness for ourselves. And so if you're here today and you're wrestling with the fact that someone has wronged you and you have a hard time with forgiveness over that wrong, there's hope. There's hope that the God who has forgiven us can give us the ability to forgive others, even those who have done great harm to us. Jesus' forgiveness empowers us. He reiterated three times to, to, Paul, to, to Peter that he was forgiven, and he wants to give us that same capability to forgive those who hurt us. Jesus' final call to Peter was simple, come and follow me. And so today, as we reflect on the forgiveness of Jesus, may we follow Jesus by embracing the forgiveness he offers and being transformed to forgive those who have wronged us. Amen.